Hello, folks. My name is Taylor Gonzaga, and I'm the founder and artistic director of Opera Cecilia. My name is Tanis Gonzaga, also known as yours truly, T. I'm the executive director and spouse. Together, we host the Savvy Soprano podcast, where we talk about the process of thinking outside of the box and beating to our own drum in the current industry of media and classical singing. If you hear any strange noises in the background, it's probably (laughs) our two dogs, Baron Zuzu. Zuzu is currently trying to dig himself into the couch or something. And if you hear any loud squeaks, it's from our menagerie of small creatures, guinea pigs. We basically run a small hobby farm out of our house. And <laughs> well, it was a kind of an accidental hobby farm a little bit, um, but they're all rescues and rehomes. So every single one of our animals has a story to them, and we do our best to take care of all of them. We currently have three guinea pigs, one rabbit, and two dogs. <laughs> yes. So, you know, our family members look at us with a side eye that a lot of dogs give their owners when they're really judging them and their life choices but oh my gosh no they don't they support us i mean some of them are rehomes from our family so true 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 honestly true, true, true. <laughs> and we're we're open to receiving even more creatures but you know what for now i'm okay <laughs> i'm i'm good for now i think we're maxed out on that but, but anyways, anyways that was a tangent we wanted to talk today about what's going on with opera cecilia so I guess I will take the seat of the interviewer now for a quick second. Um, Ms. or Mrs., I guess, Taylor Gonzaga. Well, I'm married to you, so you know that I'm a Mrs. Yes. So (laughs) if you hear any strange wordings or things that might be inside jokes, they might be inside jokes because we are husband and wife. Full disclosure. So you... I can't remember, one of us came up with the idea of doing a blind audition process for our second season. Do you remember which one it was? I think it was me because I felt really, really strongly about it. It's one of the things I've wanted to see in the industry for quite some time. Um, And it actually was inspired originally by the concept of hearing that a lot of um, audition processes for instrumentalists are actually blind Mm -hmm. to avoid discrimination of any kind. And I understood why that hadn't really crossed over into the classical singing world, because especially opera, because you like have to be a character and it's kind of about your physicality and the way you act. So they have to see you do that. But I often see that used as like an excuse or a disguise for being over preoccupied with the aesthetics of a singer or being over preoccupied with things that don't actually pertain to the singer's vocal talents or abilities or gifts or cultivated skills, I think is the way I'll word it because I have my own issues with the word talent. Right. That's another tangent. But um, that being said, that was kind of what it was originally inspired by. And I was like, why don't we do a process where in the second round we can narrow down some finalists and still see those finalists acting choices but at least the initial round gets everybody on completely equal footing everybody's foot gets in the door everybody gets an equal opportunity and it's literally just about the voice and so that's where this concept was sort of born and in addition to it being blind it was actually a virtual process as well so what was your thought process in making it 
not just a blind audition process, but a virtual audition process. Well, part of that was logistics because <laughs> we are, full disclosure, at the very beginning of the process of making this company and forming it. We've only been around for one season so far, and that one season was during a global pandemic. Yay. So <laughs> we ended up learning a lot of skills about um, digital video editing, um, how to maximize the quality of audio. We... we learned a lot about that stuff. Like we're no strangers to technology at this point. Right. And I truly do think technology can be a way forward in the operatic industry as well, as long as we're careful and we balance that with the fact that at its foundation, this is an art form that was meant to be experienced live. Mm -hmm. um, but that, so that was one reason was logistics and resources. It was a lot easier for us to manage a virtual audition process at this point in time. Um, eventually I would love to do a live blind audition. I feel like that would be a really fascinating experience. Yeah, but, I agree. That would be really cool. Yeah. What I particularly like about the virtual audition experience this time around is that in many ways it leveled the playing field because not every person who's trying to audition for an opera company yeah. can afford a plane ticket. Yeah, and that being said, it's not to be discounted that having tech and having high enough quality tech and access to internet is not in itself a privilege. So it was, it wasn't me not acknowledging the fact that having those resources is also costs money and takes money to have, it takes money to have good quality recordings. It takes money to work with a live pianist. Every facet of an emerging artist's life costs money and it sucks. Yes. It really sucks. But this to me with the global pandemic being a thing with, um, all of our advances in how to effectively listen to audio submissions and what to listen for when it came to what a really good sounding audio recording, like how, what can I really hear in the voice from an audio recording and right. how can I make those observations? Um, with all of that added knowledge and the fact that in most cases, the majority of people do have some sort of access to the internet and some sort of access to at least an iPhone camera or something like right. that, this seemed to be still not a 100% perfect um, rating on the accessibility scale, but at least more accessible than all the travel expenses and um, logistic logistical planning and risk of getting a viral illness that yes. traveling to a location and doing a live audition would include. Right. And um, on that note, the note of technology giving us more accessibility, mm -hmm. um, there's also to me, the concern that if you have better equipment that can better capture your voice, yeah. there is the danger of someone who's not listening very carefully or who doesn't know what to listen for. They'll just automatically end up moving forward with the person who had better technology. Is that something that you face personally or how did you personally... Um, approach that because I wasn't a part of that part of yeah. the audition. Well, process. because it what if for to to give kind of our listeners an insight into the process, Tanis um, was the one who collected all of the information on all of the performers. 
I myself and another artist that I brought in that is a dear friend of mine and has a master's in vocal pedagogy, the two of us um, were like the people who evaluated the singers from the initial round before they went on to the second round. And Tanis, because he knew the demographic information and the names and stuff of the performers, he could not be a part of the first round. Otherwise, it wasn't completely blind. So he just gathered information for that round. And then he was a part of watching the performers that we chose to move on to the finals because at that point it was fine for us to know who they were um but that being said that entire process was really interesting as far as gauging audio quality is concerned so i think the first thing that i did was i did put a disclaimer i had to in the audition like the audition page on our website that they could look at before they sent in their registration that, Hey, if your audio is completely like, we can't hear it. We can't hear it properly. There's a ton of feedback. There's a ton of fuzz and the voice is completely distorted. And in those cases, we could not accept that audio. We would either ask for an alternate submission from you or not consider you for our season because I just, we just couldn't hear you. You know what right. I mean? So, the, but, but we didn't really get any of that. We had 64 no. submissions and all of them were pretty, were good enough quality audio for me to be able to gauge the voice and gauge the quality of the voice. Exactly. And upon the initial submissions, there were, there was uh, there was a lot of consistency with what kind of and what quality the submissions were mm-hmm. there were very minor discrepancies like for example some people sent us recordings that they already had which is perfectly fine we were happy with that but some of those recordings had a slate at the beginning that yeah. <laughs> said this is my name this is what i'm singing yeah so i had to actually throw it into GarageBand, cut that out and yeah. then export it so that you can have a version that doesn't have any identifier this is another reason why we really it was really important to have like a middleman that tani served as who was collecting performer information and looking at everything before i got access to it and before our second opinion did for the first round because there were things like that that would pop up and Tanis was like, oh, I have to kind of clip that part out and have her start it here so that she doesn't hear who the singer's name is. Um, just in case we happen to know that singer or that singer was easy to find on social media. I didn't even want the temptation of looking up a singer on social media to be present. Yes. So for the initial round, when me and my dear friend and colleague were looking over the first round submissions, we literally got a Google Doc <laughs> with a number and an F or no F next to the number. And if there was an F next to the number, it meant that they wanted artistic feedback, which was something we offered for this audition round. And that was something to keep into account. So I was kind of jotting down observations about all the performers, but I made sure to like specifically word it for feedback on the ones that requested it. Right. And I do want to come back to the point of you wanting to offer feedback, but I want to back up a little bit and give my two cents of how I approach this blind audition process. Yeah, for sure. I think it's really interesting to hear it from your perspective too. So initially, uh, when you said, hey, I want to do this thing. I think it's going to be cool. I was like, that sounds really awesome. So let's figure <laughs> out how to do it. Because that's that, that's how we function as artistic director and executive director. You come up with the ideas and then I help you execute them. Yeah. So with this particular process, uh, I was thinking, okay, we need to figure out 
how to get someone involved or do it in such a way that you don't see any identifiers. Yeah, I couldn't. I wasn't allowed to see anything for the mm-hmm. first round. No and, resumes or anything either. And we ultimately decided that the easiest and most cost effective way to do it was for me to have the only access to the email that was going to receive all the submissions. Mm-hmm. So for a period of time, you didn't have access to our official Opera Cecilia email. <laughs> Which just sucked for other reasons. And part of me is like, maybe we should have an anonymous email or something that they send stuff to instead so that I can still check OC's admin email. Right. But, but that was yeah. that was still an extra step that, honestly, I didn't want to have to deal with. Yeah, I because we're still new to a lot of this. So the simpler we can make things, the better. So I decided, okay, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to field all of the questions. I will make sure that any other non-audition emails that we get, I answer them or I will consult you if I have to, but I will be in charge of that. Yeah. And as they started to come in, the auditions, because correct me if I'm wrong, you had an audition request form on the website is that how you did that part yeah so i had a registration form on the website and literally all they were telling me was um well they were submitting it to you so they weren't telling me anything so this was the information that you got to see from the first round and it was just the stuff that was absolutely necessary from them we needed their name we needed their email address um i also requested their the roles that they were um, the interested roles in. that they were most interested in and whether or not they wanted feedback I think those were the only questions I asked I did not yes. um, I did not include a submission for a resume on that form I mm-hmm. did not include a request for a headshot I did not include any of that information because we didn't need that information yeah we actually actively I actually actively discouraged people on the audition page from submitting that information right like for the second round if they made it onto the finals they could if they wanted to but like i really we it really wasn't necessary even then yeah we we didn't ask for bios or headshots or resumes until yeah. after we had cast everything actually yeah and to reiterate as well i made this registration form and slapped it on the website but i couldn't see anybody who right, registered because it went directly to the yeah um, which i wasn't looking to the at the email at the so time. when i started fielding those audition submissions what i did is i opened up an excel sheet well it was technically google sheets not a sponsor but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i opened up one of those sheets and then i started putting in numbers so number for example the singer number one which is the first person that i processed not necessarily the person that i thought was the best or anything uh (laughs) yeah this was not a ranking uh, (laughs) system i I wrote down singer number one submitted these two pieces and whether they want feedback or not and that's the only information that you got in fact i think you opted not to look at that spreadsheet at, at the end because it was just simpler for you to uh look on the google drive yeah we decided that you wanted just Whatever song they were listening to, for example, let's say it was the Queen of the Night aria, and it was sung by singer twenty three, and it De was Hola Raja. It is specifically because <laughs> there's Raja. two, right? Because yeah. there's two, <laughs> the famous one, so, most famous one. Uh, for example, singer twenty three, her first selection was the Queen of the Night aria. Yeah. So, I would upload the song 
up to Google Drive that you had access to with only 23A. Yeah, that was literally... That was the only identifier. (laughs) I got 23A, 23B, and there would be a little F in parentheses if they wanted feedback. And that was literally it. And it was so interesting. I made sure to use a really high quality pair of headphones and I made sure to get Mm -hmm. the best audio experience I possibly could, which really helped me with people who may have not had the highest quality audio because there, I could definitely tell when somebody had like a really high quality system versus when somebody might've just been recording from a phone device or something like that. But that I couldn't, it wasn't that the audio wasn't clear on the lower quality device. I could still clearly hear the voice, especially using the headphones, which helped me hear more overtones and vocal color. Um, Never, ever listen to a live audition with a low quality speaker from a computer. Never. Like that is the worst thing because the singer's voices actually sounded very different when I played them just on the computer speakers than when I played them in the headphones. And my voice, when I record, and make right. recorded submissions sounds way different. So that's one thing too that is really worth mentioning as far as audio quality is concerned. So what kinds of things did you have very present in your mind considering that you have had certain experiences as a soprano yeah. <laughs> uh, in so. the industry and during your audition processes, why or what kind of thoughts were swirling around in your brain when you yourself were on the other side of the chair. Oh gosh, that was weird. I think the biggest thing that I was fighting was like this really strong panging feeling of imposter syndrome. Like, (laughs) (laughs) like I feel like, It's interesting because if anybody, and I have a very humble following on Instagram right now, both for the OC account and for my personal account. But if anyone follows me on my personal account, they will... I feel like I present as a person that's pretty transparent. Like I try to be as transparent as possible, but within reason. So people don't think I'm going crazy. Some of the things that (laughs) cross through my human brain may not be good to share online. We don't want to get too personal here. (laughs) You know, so I don't want to go past that like boundary line of what's, you know, feels okay or like safe to share. But at the same time, I'm transparent, but I feel like I also, it's like the best of my transparency sometimes. And I feel like the platform sort of lends itself to that. And it's really hard to gain any kind of following without showing the best of what your life has to offer. You're talking about Instagram? Yeah. And so I feel like... Not a sponsor again? No. Probably never after what we talk about. (laughs) Um, I feel like it's really hard to not make your account into like a highlight reel. But I, I feel like I present in some ways as a person who believes in herself and is confident in her skills. Um, and that's how that's who I want to be. And that's who I am most of the time, I'd like to think. But like mm-hmm. at the same time, there's a big part of me that feels like because I haven't made my Met debut, because I took myself out of the running for major YAP programs, whatever degree. <laughs> um, because I had to get persnickety about it and I feel like emerging artists deserve better and I had to make my point. So <laughs> I um, took myself out of the running for most major YAPs. There's very few, there's a few like that um, I feel like treat their 
artists really well that I would maybe consider in the future. But right now I've taken myself basically out of the running for that. And because I don't have the quote unquote, like typical things on a resume, some of the, I have some of the typical things, but not all of the typical things on a resume that seem to like check off all the boxes of what a quote unquote successful emerging singer looks like. I just felt like I didn't, I wasn't worthy of evaluating other singers art. And I also understand the blood, sweat, tears and hard work and um, passion that goes into creating this art form and singing and using your like your as singers, our instrument is inside of our bodies. Right. Right. So like I weigh that really heavily. So there was a big part of me that had imposter syndrome. Like I don't have a big enough platform to be doing this or to be qualified for this. And the other part of me was like, I am unworthy <laughs> of having all of these singers share their precious art for me. And I have to say no to most of them yeah you know and that to me was like that was a very emotional moment for me during the process and it was kind of heartbreaking in a way but at the same time i also just felt so honored that the artists we had 64 submissions and i did not i thought we would maybe get 20 or 30 i did not think we'd get more than double that right you know and even though that doesn't seem like a lot compared to like a major opera company in the u.s and how many submissions they may get every year right it was a lot for a teeny tiny opera company consisting of two (laughs) yeah that has (laughs) an artistic team of two two that is an llc trying to approach this full-time jobs differently yeah and this isn't even like our full-time gig yet i hope it is in the future but like that was huge to me that we got 64 submissions and there was a big part of me that was like i feel unworthy to be doing this all of their voices are beautiful i wish i had I wish I was a billionaire so I could give them all compensated opportunities. Yeah. And even um, I would like you to speak a little bit to the amount of time that it took to actually listen through the submissions and what your thought process was with that. Because I got to hear very short snippets just to make sure that there weren't any identifiers, there weren't any weird cuts or anything weird with the audio happening, but I, I didn't listen to pretty much any of the pieces all the way through. Yeah. For the first round. When I I had a couple different criteria that were going on in my head when I went in to approach those, uh, the listening process. Um, and one of them was, is this person doing something that's bold and out of the box? Mm -hmm. Because that was like a central tenet of our mission as a company is respecting those singers. I I was looking for the singers that were quote unquote, maybe not the most industry palatable that were doing something that wasn't safe, that were doing something that was so authentically them and so distinct to them that it kind of left a stamp on me after I listened to it. And it moved me. And those were not the most perfect voices, technically. Right. Those were not the most efficient voices, technically. Those were the voices that just stood out to me as somebody that was capable of moving someone else. Right. In a very unique and distinct way. They weren't somebody that was trying to fit the mold that the industry kind of tries to force you into. Did you find yourself having to turn away anyone who maybe would have fit that mold in a different opera house? 100%. I think there were a few people that were very like, oh, are you with, I would not be surprised if I did get your information and I did look you up and you are with a major yap right now. 
because like they had that voice. And I think that's fantastic for them. And I think that they're going to be very successful in their careers. And it wasn't that they had a bad voice or anything like that. But I just, I love my personal taste. And this is what's so funny about the audition process is it's all a giant crapshoot. It really is. It's like, it's so subjective to the the taste and the aesthetic of the person that's listening to you. It like literally does not matter. (laughs) (laughs) I've had situations in my young career so far where just for funsies to get a role under my belt, I would audition for like a community theater and I would not get cast. Not because (laughs) you didn't have a great audition. No, but like I just wouldn't get cast. And then I would and I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I can't even get cast in community theater. You know, I would have like those bad, toxic thoughts that would go through my head. And then I would turn around and do like a professional audition and I would get into that. And so it's just like, it's so, one thing does not mean another. No auditions correlate with each other. And I think it's really easy to lump them all in our heads and think, oh, this is the omen that's going to curse the rest of my auditions for this entire season. Perhaps some logic would dictate that, okay, if I'm getting turned away from every single audition, maybe there's something wrong with me. Yeah. But there's also a really strong chance that you're getting turned away from those auditions not because there's something fundamentally wrong with your voice, something fundamentally wrong with the choices you're making. Mm -hmm. You just haven't been auditioning to the right things that... Or or the person, the director, the casting person that's behind the, the desk, they just didn't have that vision of whatever you had to offer for that particular show. Or maybe they're informed by an outdated and discriminatory version of what that character should be or should right. look like or act or are narrow minded to and, and are not open to new interpretations of that character that you right. may be able to offer. Like that's what's really hard, especially about being a soprano in the industry is if you don't fit a very, very specific mold and. I'm going to sound like a broken record because I feel like a lot of people have already brought up this point, but that mold is usually thin, white, young. Yeah. <laughs> Cisgender, female, like you have to you have to like be kind of, I don't know, have that like quote unquote timeless traditional look that like low key looks like you're from the 1950s and things like, (laughs) and like if like people have that look naturally, I think that's a gorgeous look and like more power to And it has its place. Yes, of course. And they deserve a spot in the industry too. So I'm not shaming anyone who naturally authentically falls into that category, but it's a pain in the ass (laughs) going to auditions as a soprano. If you deviate from that mold at all, because most people behind the panel, usually men, usually white, <laughs> unfortunately, that's just demographically the case right now, will have this very, very narrow-minded view of what a soprano should be. Right. And you have poster childs for that in the industry, you know? Right. And as a tenor, I don't experience that kind of thing because yeah. well, tenors I mean, are rarer. You experience different things. To have a quality but... tenor is... I mean, if you have slim pickings, you just you're gonna pick the person that is the most put together. And maybe they weren't your physical aesthetic. Maybe they their voice isn't quite the timbre that you want. But because of that, I guess I could call it tenor privilege. Yeah. I people like me tend to get more gigs 
easier. Yeah. And I feel, I feel like that was like something we talked, we discussed a lot in our relationship in the beginning because you would audition for things with a bachelor's degree. I would audition for things with a master's Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you would still get cast more often than I would because it really like, that's how much of a crapshoot it is. Yeah. Like, and it's so hard to not supply and demand. Yeah. It's so hard to not take that personally. And it's so hard to. We, we should have an entire episode of this podcast where we talk about the dynamics of being two singers in a relationship. I feel like that would oh, be yeah, we will. very interesting. <laughs> but like, because we've had to conquer a lot through that. But I think it's made us stronger in the end. But we can talk about more about that later. But how this all relates to the blind audition process is the fact that like, I was looking for singers that I have a special place in my heart to singers who very noticeably beat to their own drum. I have a special place in my heart for singers that show reflections of the old, like vintage bel canto Mm -hmm. technique from the golden age era. And there were definitely singers that reflected that in this audition process there. I I have a special place in my heart for singers that show tons of emotion. And one of the things that I gave in artistic feedback the most often, I think was don't be afraid to spill your guts Yeah, because there are so many singers that had these most gorgeous, like, fantastic voices and the only reason that I didn't cast them or didn't bring them onto the finals was because I felt like there was so much emotional restraint yeah and I don't think that that's a thing that any singer should be shamed for because this industry forces you into this place where you have to feel like you have to make the safe choice they put you in a very mental time they put you in a very mental space yeah and so with all the compassion and all the love and all the empathy in the world in that feedback I was just like, I want to empower you to spill your guts. I feel like you have so much more of an artistic message to say. And singing is not just about technique. It's not just about technique. And actually technique was only but one of the many things I was looking for in these auditions. And I think throughout the process, I also started to realize like circling back to the imposter syndrome thing that I had more wisdom and insights than I even thought I had. And that it was okay for me to own up to those. I mean, you have very nearly a decade's worth of voice teaching experience at this point in time. I do. And I I undervalued it in this process because I mostly specialize at this point, at my age, I mostly teach hobbyists and like high schoolers and things like that. Um, I'd say you have more experience in that, but I believe you're absolutely capable of teaching someone that has more advanced techniques to learn. Yeah. And I think that I'm very overall confident in my teaching abilities at this point, because that's an aspect of my career that I feel like I've cultivated just as wholeheartedly as my voice. And, but it's just like, because I'm still working on things vocally, because I don't teach, I don't teach at a major yap. I'm not a college professor, things like that. I, I undervalued my own skills. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was constantly like, I am unworthy of listening to these singers, some of which are probably potentially older than me and further along in their performance careers than I may be, mostly because I decided to boycott so much early on. So did I shoot myself in the foot a tiny bit when it comes to certain areas of the industry? Probs. But whatever. <laughs> you know, it's my life and my choice. So how long did it take you to go through the first round of auditions 
And several did, hours. Did that take <laughs> as much as you were anticipating? I first, I think I was a little bit cocky and I thought that it was going to take less time or I thought I'd be able to make decisions faster. But for the initial part, for, for the initial section of it, I spent several hours narrowing it down to a certain amount of singers that I wanted my second opinion to hear that I just knew for sure I was having a really hard time making a decision with. And so I cut it in half. And then I had the second opinion, our colleague, um, come in and she, uh, helped me evaluate the other, the, the, the half, that last, that, bit. that last bit, because I was having a hard time, a really hard time making choices at that point. And the first part where I was narrowing it down lasted, I think about five and a half hours. And the second half was about two and a half hours. And that was only because at that point I had specific sections of each of their selections that I wanted to show her. So it went by a little bit faster because in the initial one, I really wanted to do due diligence. So I listened to the entire recording for the most part of every single singer. Wow. Multiple selections. Sometimes when they had up to three selections, we, they really were only supposed to submit two, but a couple submitted three. I was like, I'll listen to the third one, but I'll only listen to like half of it. Mm -hmm. But I tried. For the most part, I listened to the entirety of both of the first two selections for every single singer. Because I also don't believe in listening to only 30 seconds of a singer and thinking that that's enough, okay. which I've heard big opera companies do. I think if you're going to do this, the compassionate, ethical thing to do is to take that time. And if you don't have that time, you have to hire somebody who does and is qualified to do that. Okay. You know, like, well, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sick and tired of people cutting corners with audition processes. And I right. feel like that happens way too much with emerging artists. Right. So for the first process, like I said, I wasn't a part of it. I was only... A part of it insofar as I edited the tracks cut them down if they had to but uploaded them up into a Google Doc which you then were able to access only stating numbers and wh what kind wh which piece you were listening to there, yeah. there were no so you had no idea what you were clicking on what you were gonna hear no I, I didn't you didn't know if it was gonna be a bass a soprano <laughs> yeah it was kind of like a fun little surprise every single time. It kind of mm -hmm. like kept me on my toes. I was like, oh, that's a deep voice. I'm listening to a baritone, you know? Yeah. And we, all, we also got more baritone submissions than I was initially expecting. I did not think I would have so many choices of baritones. Mm -hmm. um, we got a few tenors, but not nearly as many. Um, lots of sopranos, of course, which I had the absolute pleasure of listening to and some mezzos. So we had really every, with the exception of like counter tenor, we right. had like every voice type represented and exactly. that was really cool so for the second round um once you gave me a list of people that you wanted to hear more of mm -hmm. at that point in time i went back to the email and i emailed people hey congratulations we want to hear more from you yeah we need video submissions at this point in time yeah and i think we asked for two different video submissions yeah and we were mainly looking for acting at this point in time because you had heard their voices i trusted whatever you were going to tell me that you wanted yeah. to hear and at this point in time i could become more involved because we were seeing them now 
Yeah. Well, it didn't matter if you knew who they were right. at that point because we had the names and we had their videos and we could see them. Um, at that point, we had already finished the initial round and it was just the finalists. So it was it was brought down to I think we cut it down to like a fourth for the finals of the people who auditioned. About I think we cut it down to yeah. 25 or so. Yeah, I think there was like 25 people that made it on made it made it on to the next round and um yeah well at the in the initial round my my friend who and colleague who is has a master's in pedagogy was able to give some really specific like pedagogical technical insights that i didn't even like 100 percent pick up on because she her master's degree was like more of a focus in that and mm-hmm. mine was more classical vocal performance and the specific master's degree that i did was very history and dramaturgy based i had to right. do you remember seeing me up until midnight writing all those research papers <laughs> and Not analysis something that i would have done i'll tell you that i wouldn't have flunked out of that <laughs> the running joke with my master's degree at umd was the fact that i wrote I was literally like writing four to five papers at one time at one point for like four to five different classes. It was absolutely ridiculous. It was so writing heavy. It was writing heavy and performance heavy. And I wasn't, I was expecting the performance stuff. I was not expecting the writing stuff. Right. But don't necessarily take this as a, (laughs) don't necessarily take this as a review of the program. No, not at all. I overall had a good experience. Because we don't know when you're going to be listening to this podcast and we don't know what kind of changes may have happened yeah. during that time. No. Um, uh, yeah. And I could have a whole other podcast episode as well about my, my grad school experience, but we'll move beyond that for now. Um, but yeah, so at, at that point we had done so much with technique and just the raw expressiveness of the voice alone and evaluating that, that now I was looking for gesticulation. I was looking for connection to character. Right. I was looking for them bringing something once again, innovative and new and authentic. And you could really tell who was doing that and who was not. Did anyone surprise you or what, what were you thinking when you were watching them now after hearing them? Um, one of the insights that I noticed the most, which is so funny, is we're doing crossover cabaret, right? Which is like, yes. y'all should check it out. It's a YouTube series mm-hmm. that is going to feature different artists that are typically in the opera sphere crossing over into cabaret and musical theater. And it's going to be really cool. But we were auditioning for that opportunity as well. And so some of them were requested to sing a musical theater selection, right? And some of them just submitted one because they wanted to be considered. What was interesting about that was every single time I saw an artist singing musical theater, it like they lit up and it was like a completely different experience of that artist. And then the minute they went back into their aria, it was like, I'm in my head. I'm cerebral. I am intellectual. You know what I mean? Yes. Like it became very reserved and it became very technical. And it wasn't nearly as expressive. There were definitely exceptions to this. There were some people that only submitted opera and were extremely expressive. But that was one thing I noticed about the people who submitted musical theater. And I'm wondering if you have any additional insights into that as somebody who also has like an extensive musical theater and acting background in addition to opera. I think there is a trap that you can potentially fall into in thinking... Musical theater is one genre where you borderline have to overact. Some people w- would call it overacting. Yeah. And I just I just call it playing to the back of the theater, but you know. <laughs> and the trap is thinking 
that about musical theater and thinking that opera is stuffy and they don't emote with their faces or their bodies. Yeah. It's just a what we call in the industry a park and bark. People just oh, gosh. <laughs> standing and singing, which can be very effective. I think it really depends on the context of the aria. I don't think that that's ineffective, like you said, in all situations. But another reason besides just I, I do think we carry subconscious stereotypes in our head of the genres. And sometimes that can hinder us a little mm-hmm. bit when we're performing. But I think the other thing about it that I noticed was that I think it's a product of how the school system, the schooler conservatory system brings up emerging artists in the opera world. You mean in the sense that they try to fit everyone into the same mold and everyone that graduates kind of sounds like the same singer? Yeah. (laughs) In most cases. um, It's interesting because I graduated from a smaller program and I feel like everybody in my program had a very distinctive, unique voice. Um. And not all of it would be what I would consider the stereotype for industry palatability, but who gives a crud about that? In mm. my opinion, I, that's boring to me if everyone fit the same exact mold. Um, At but... that point in time, they're <laughs> just hiring you for your body. And I don't know how comfortable I am about that. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's rough. Um, the, the commodification of the arts makes it so that they want somebody who is easily replaceable. Yeah. And they want somebody that is easy to replace with another person. And so it's like... A, product. Or, or, yeah, it, it's a product. It's not a person. And I feel like it's so much more interesting when we when we do it in reverse. We're a person first, you know? But um, it's, so, it's so telling when I see it in the contrast between musical theater and opera with a performer. Because musical theater, I feel like, is a genre where it's a little easier for people to just let go expressively and there's a little bit more room for that and opera has become this thing that gets overly intellectualized right because that's how it's taught because that's how it's taught it's taught from such a technique perspective and we get so obsessive and overly detail oriented about it and it's not that technique doesn't matter right like it's not taught from the viewpoint of artistry it's not taught that technique is something that makes you more artistic it's taught that technique trumps artistry even if, it, even if they don't mean to teach that, yeah. that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just very interesting. Um, it was very interesting to see that in the second round and to make that observation. That being said, all of our second round singers, all of our singers in general were wonderful. Yeah. I wanted to cast every single one of them in something, you know, mm-hmm. but like I, w- I was just like, oh my gosh, we have these amazing artists that are giving our art to us and I just want to treat it with so much compassion and care. And that's why I was really careful in crafting our no letter, quote unquote, mm-hmm. our email that we sent out to people who weren't cast because I wanted to make sure they knew that their art was being respected throughout this process right. and that just because we chose not to cast you or move you on to the next round didn't mean that we didn't see that you had amazing things to offer. Yeah. You know? Um, And I'm very excited for what some of those voices that we didn't cast do in the future. And I hope they consider auditioning with us again. And yeah, excited to hear them again. Uh, Are there any other insights that come to mind during this process that we haven't necessarily talked about? Um... I think the final kind of like statement that I have about the entire thing, I I mean, I feel like I could go on about this for hours, but no one wants to listen to me talk for 
hours. At least um, not in one go. <laughs> not right now. Um, uh, but at the same time, I think the, the one thing I want to say that I feel like for a while I didn't feel like I fully had the guts to say because I'm still a little afraid of stepping on toes mm-hmm. um, with what I want to do. But I'm, I'm a little less afraid of that now. Um, I hope that the fact that our tiny little company with very little money and very little resources is able to pull off something like this and it's effective. And we have corresponded personally with a few of the artists that we've cast this season. And a lot of them gave us very positive feedback on this process. And a lot of people were very positively impacted by it because it was just something that felt so much um, safer in a good way, not safer in an artistically restrained way, but safer in a way that I feel like my art is being fully respected and given its due diligence in this process. And I just want to hold other companies accountable for that. Because if my little company with limited resources can do it, your big company with massive resources definitely can do it. Mm -hmm. And there is absolutely no reason why it can't be pulled off in either a live or virtual setting or a combination of both. There is no reason why we cannot be making a step forward to do this. There is no reason why you can't have multiple rounds where one of the rounds is virtual. So at least everyone has an equal footing. There were people we knew that auditioned for this, but they had the exact same chance as everybody else because they went through the blind audition. Yeah. Cause when I am not given any context of a singer and I just listen to their voices and these are people that we knew personally, but may not have heard in a while, I still like, I was like, that voice sounds kind of familiar, but that was about it. I didn't automatically recognize that person's voice. And so that person was in the same playing field as everybody else. So there wasn't any nepotism at play here. The people we know that did happen, there's, there's one person, there's two people we know that did happen to get cast this season. And it was because they genuinely showed up in the way that we were hoping for, for those particular opportunities. And it doesn't have anything to do with them having any sort of bias in the first round, especially, you know? And so to level the playing field that much can, can come with it like hardship and emotional hardship, but it is so important ethically for this industry and other companies can do this if we can. That being said, in your experience as an artistic director, would you do this again and how would you do it again if you were to make any changes? My gosh, it really depends on how much resources we have because I could answer this question with knowing what we have now or I can answer it with like, if we had all the resources we hope to have in the future. So like, what version do you want? Both. (laughs) Okay. So the first version, which is being reasonable with the resources we have now, I think for next season, I would love to make the process a little bit more efficient. I don't exactly know specifically how that would happen. I think it would have to do with the registration form and perhaps bringing in somebody else to collect the initial performer information so that you could be more a part of the first round and you didn't necessarily do that, even though I think you did a good job. I just would have liked to have your opinion in the first round, but we couldn't do that because we had to split up the responsibilities and we couldn't afford to hire anyone right now. Um, We did pay my colleague though, who came in and helped us. And, um, And then the other thing that I would probably like change about it is 
Um, I might give a couple more specific parameters for audio recordings because there were some people that posted full orchestral stuff and we gave that equal consideration. We did not penalize it because I didn't say that they couldn't do that Mm -hmm. at all. But it was a tiny bit distracting. And I think I would have rather had it just piano and voice just so that there wasn't any extraneous chorus or anything that I was hearing in the background. And I could just kind of zoom in and focus on the singer. So that's one thing. Those are just very specific little nitpicky things. But I would definitely do this process again um, in a very similar way. I would definitely designate myself like an entire workday to just go through. And I would take longer breaks in between listening to people. I don't think that really affected how I considered people, but I do think for the sake of my own well-being and maximum quality of work, um, I should designate more time to this, full disclosure, the next time I do it. So now I know I need an entire day (laughs) to go through this stuff, and so I can take substantial breaks. Um, Right. I will agree with you on the point of making it a more efficient process. Yeah. I think since this was our first time doing it, there were some things that could have been done better, mm-hmm. uh, done faster, mm-hmm. that we were just stumbling through. Yeah. Um, that being said, in my own personal opinion, I think that if we were to get more submissions, we would undoubtedly end up either having to hire out a third year. Yeah. For sure. To be able to process all those the way you process them this year. Mm-hmm. Or we will be forced to listen to less. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I don't really like the idea of having like a quote unquote pre-screen because this is not what this is intended to be. Right. You know, this, this is intended to be like a right. first round audition. And the only yes. reason we have the second round is to see them gesticulate. There were callbacks, yeah. basically. It was basically a callback for yeah. a show. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, this is a pre-screening audition for no. the chance to actually audition. I think that's BS. And the other thing that I would say is that I will never, ever, ever under any circumstances um, charge an application fee for any of this. How come? <laughs> whole podcast episode topic in and of itself. But I think um, we are one of the only industries that charges people to get a foot in the door, which I think is such a massive classist pain in the ass barrier to entry that does not need to exist. And most of the time it's purely for profit. The the only industry that pay that forces you to pay for a job application. Yeah. And you don't even necessarily have a like, a chance at actually getting an interview you're paying for the possibility of getting an interview which is like ridiculous sink in, to me it's like so stupid so i just i will never ever do that for my company i also do not pay enough to justify that right, right. now and you and i are a small company we are paying everything that we possibly can to these artists yeah the majority the vast majority of our budget for every single show is just artist compensation it really is. <laughs> we spend very very little we're very bare bones with everything else because we think the artist is the first priority that being said i want to keep increasing the pay for our artists as much as humanly possible which is why we're llc and not a nonprofit. and it's and why that's a whole other yeah conversation there's a lot a of things you're gonna hear from this podcast but there's and i have a lot of soap boxes i'm sure you'll hear about but right that being said if you do want to support us 
as Opera Cecilia, we encourage you to head over to operacecilia.com. We just launched a merch store. Heck yeah. So head on over there to get yourself some apparel. We've mm-hmm. got a mug that is double-sided. Mm-hmm. Um, we have phone cases and we will be adding a lot more to that. So if you want to support us and you want to get something really cool as well, head on over to operacecilia.com. Yeah, we have some really, really cool merch. Um, By the time this releases, we'll also be talking a lot about something called the Opera Lovers Playbook. We're uh, collaborating with a fantastic um, woman and artist by the name of Christina, who runs the Mindful Sound Studio. It's a popular Instagram account in the classical singing community. And she has these absolutely wonderful quotes that she has given us to include in the book as journal prompts. And the journal has a ton of other fun activities in it, too. So it's not just any regular journal. And it's meant to help de-stress singers and take care of singers' well-being during audition season, particularly when they're nervous about stuff. And it is also a massive support to the company if you choose to purchase it. So we have a ton of stuff that we're selling, stuff that we're doing for crowdfunding, all of that stuff. And all of it goes toward us being able to compensate and support our emerging artists more and us being able to sustain ourselves so that we can devote more time and energy to this. And yeah. so so that we can make this our full-time gig so that our mission comes true and we can give this company all the attention that it deserves. Yeah. I think one of the final things I wanted to touch on was why you decided to offer feedback. To <laughs> me, that blew my mind. Because I like to give myself more work. I don't know. Um, it was That was the hardest part because by the time the audition process was over, I was so tired. <laughs> and I think I underestimated how tired it would make me that that was like a hard component to do. So I took a little bit of a break for a, a little while before I to clear my head before I actually edited the feedback and sent it. But the reason I wanted to do that was because I wanted every single artist, even if they were not cast, to get something valuable from the process, from the energy that they put out. Because even though they didn't pay to audition with our company and it was completely free, they did pay to make those recordings. They did pay to do all of that other stuff behind the scenes. And I see that. So I wanted them to get something of value from this experience. And so I was fine losing a little bit of sleep so that I could finish editing that feedback. And I also, I I hear so many horror stories of artists who have received such toxic feedback that I worked really, really hard to word my feedback in a way that was insightful and really honest, but also extremely empowering. And a lot of it was me just really encouraging the artists to keep going on their journey because every single artist truly deserved that. Like there wasn't any artist that did not deserve a seat at the table that I listened to in that audition process. We had such high quality voices. So I think that was the main reason I decided to do that. Do I kind of want to make that process more efficient as well if I decide to offer that again next year? For sure. Because that part (laughs) was rough for me mentally, workload, because I was doing a music directing contract and a bunch of other stuff at the same time. But um, I, I definitely feel like it was worth it. And I am glad that it was something that our company offered. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think... I speak for both of us when I say thank you so much for lending us your ears and listening to our process here at Opera Cecilia. Yeah. Uh, 
please support us. Head on over to operacecilia.com to read more about us. You can find us on YouTube. The Opera Cecilia channel dedicates its time to a lot of artist reactions right now, but uh, we hope to offer more than simply artist reactions and the crossover cabaret series. Yeah. We have a variety of virtual projects that we're producing this season that are going to be up there, performance-based stuff. And not all of it will have a paywall. Some of it will be charging a ticket price. And info for that will be coming out soon on our website. But a lot of it is free to the public as well and gives you a little taste of what we do before you pay for the big stuff. So once again... It, when you do pay something through a, for a service through Opera Cecilia, you are directly supporting our mission. So we do thank you very, very much. We're even if we're an LLC and not a nonprofit at this point in time, we are still very, very human centered and very um, social justice and ethics centered as a company. And that's the reason we started the company in the first place to be a positive force in the industry that we're in. Exactly. Well, folks, thank you very much, and we will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Savvy Soprano podcast. Um, New episodes premiere regularly, so make sure to stay tuned for what we talk about next. Keep singing. Bye. Bye.